Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Second uh, Corinthians, and thank you all um, who uh, sang and played here. We're grateful for you. I want to mention, as you're opening your Bibles, I want to mention something about Easter Sunday. Did you know next Sunday is Easter Sunday? And it's always a, man, Easter is a special time for us, and um, we're going to, I'm going to talk about how the resurrection changes everything, and it does change everything. And so I hope you'll be here and invite someone to come. Maybe someone would come if you would invite them, and God perhaps would use the message of the gospel to change their lives forever. Only the gospel can do that, and the Lord can change lives. And so you invite someone to come with you Easter Sunday. Some people would come if you would invite them, I suspect. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13 uh, this morning, uh, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to talk on the subject of self-examination. The Bible says examine yourself. You'll, you'll see this in the text. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says this is the third time I'm coming to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I gave a warning when I was present the second time, and now I give a warning while I am absent to those who sinned before and to all the rest. If I come again, I will not be lenient, since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by God's power. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? And I hope you will recognize that we ourselves do not fail the test, but we pray to God that you do nothing wrong, not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you may do what is right, even though we may appear to fail. For we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you become fully mature. This is why I'm writing these things while absent, so that when I am there, I may not have to deal, with, to deal harshly with you in keeping with the authority the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Well, let's note what the Bible teaches us here about examining ourselves, the responsibility we have to examine ourselves, and we're going to talk about this together. Let's open our Bibles, keep them open, and I want you to encourage you to write down some notes as we talk about this great subject. And there are two basic principles I want you to get with me this morning. Number one, note we are examined by others. That is, God himself, of course, examines us. He tests us, the Bible says. But God uses other people in their lives to examine us, and that's much of what Paul was doing with the church at Corinth. We've been working our way through this book of the Bible, and we've seen over and over again how God was using Paul to teach and to encourage and to test and to show the people of Corinth what it means to follow the Lord. And God puts people in our lives as a means of helping us in these ways. And so I'm going to have two kind of sub-points here that I'd like you to get with me. First note, God uses others to sharpen us. God uses others to sharpen us. And we see in verses 1 and 2, Paul talking about how he tried to sharpen the church at Corinth. He talked about how um, he used an Old Testament quote of how he's coming back for a third time. He's been there twice already, and he'll be coming back for a third visit. And he uses an Old Testament quote of how everything's established by two or three witnesses, not just by one witness, but by multiple witnesses. And he's saying, I'm going to be that multiple witness in your life, and I'm going to talk to you about the truth. He said, I'm going to warn you like I did when I was present. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to point you to the truth. I'm going to try to sharpen you. And God uses people in our lives to sharpen us. God uses people in our lives to sharpen us. I, I live in the country, and we have lots of trees there, and so I have, I have a chainsaw. And never do I feel more powerful, more manly than when I'm using my chainsaw. 
I'm not very good at it. I don't know how to do it very well, but I do know uh, that when I use it a little bit, it needs to get sharpened. It has a tendency to get dull. And when it gets dull, you have to sharpen it. And the way you sharpen it is to use uh, steel against steel, metal against metal. The Bible says this, as one man sharpens another, the Bible says as, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So as, one, as iron sharpens iron, that's how, that's how I'll sharpen my chainsaws. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so God puts people in their lives to help sharpen us. And can I just say, the Western world, Christians in the Western world, are, are saying and acting as though the church has, is no big deal. And it doesn't matter. You don't really need to participate in the life of a church, and you can just be sort of a Christian on your own, and the local church isn't a big deal. That, you, that comes from the culture. It does not come from God and from his word. It does not come from God's word. God made the church. He formed it for a reason. He reminds us of our need for each other. And one of the reasons God made the church is because we sharpen each other. God wants to use us to sharpen each other. And so our small groups sharpen each other. Our discipleship groups sharpen each other. Our worship services are designed to help sharpen each other. God uses people in our lives. Because, we're, listen, we are all fallen. We are all frail. We are all broken. And we live in a broken world. And the church is filled with broken people. There's no, every person in this church, that, that's the problem with the church, right? It's you <laughs> and me. I hate to say that second part, but it's you, mainly you. <laughs> No, it's a, a, all of us. We're all broken. We all fail. We're all fragile. We all come with our, with our problems. But the Lord brings us together. And the Bible describes the church as the body of Christ. We have different gifts and talents and personalities. Have you noticed that? Different skills, different backgrounds. And God puts us together. And there's a sharpening that happens in this. And so others can see things in us. May I just point out how hard it is sometimes to see the truth about ourselves, and God uses other people to sharpen us. And secondly, would you know, God uses his power to shape us. God uses his power to shape us. In verse 3, at the end of verse 2, the Bible says, if I come again, I'll not be lenient since you seek proof of Christ speaking in me. He's not weak in dealing with you, but powerful among you. He was crucified, verse 4, he was crucified in weakness. We celebrated the crucifixion, taking communion today, and we were reminded that Jesus gave his body broken for us, his blood shed for us. We see something of the weakness of Jesus giving himself on the cross, and it's the means by which we can find forgiveness and hope and meaning and purpose. It's the, it's the means by which, in fact, verse 4 says he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. Um, maybe we should just keep this to ourselves for a little while, but this is a spoiler alert for next Sunday. Jesus did not stay in the grave. He did not stay in the tomb, but he conquered the power of sin and hell and death. And the Bible says he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. And so God uses his power to shape us. It's not just that we examine ourselves, though we're going to talk about that in a moment, but the Lord uses other people in their lives to examine us, to change us, to, sh to sharpen us. And God himself, by his power, does his work in us. The miracle of the new birth, Christ saving us from our sins, Christ giving us 
his life in us to live, the Holy Spirit living in us. And his power shapes us. And I want you to note that we are examined by others. But there's a second principle I want you to note, and I want to spend my time on this second part. We are to examine ourselves. Would you just note that? We're to examine ourselves. The Bible says in verse 5, examine yourselves. Boy, it's one of the hardest things we'll ever do. It's hard to see the truth about ourselves. So often I see people who don't, I, they just are, they don't have any self-awareness. And I think, what am I missing? If they miss that, what am I missing in my own life? Because we have a tendency to be blind about ourselves. We have a tendency to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, to see what we'd like to see in ourselves. And the Bible says, test yourselves and examine yourselves and look a little bit more introspectively at yourself and note the truth about yourself. And that's a hard thing. So I want us to look at what I'm calling three critical questions to ask yourself. This text gives us three critical questions to ask yourselves. And I want you to, ask, to write these questions down and then let's do a little, let's let the Holy Spirit do some uh, work in us. Let's examine ourselves and see the truth about ourselves and try to know what God wants for us and from us. So let's know question number one. Are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? Verse 5 says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Now, Paul's writing to a church, but he's saying, I want you to test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. He's saying, I want you to, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to find out, have you truly been born again, to use the words of Jesus? Have you been saved from your sin, to use biblical language? Have you been redeemed? Have you trusted Christ and Christ alone as Savior? Do you know that you have been adopted into God's family, forgiven of your sins, and given eternal life? Are you in the faith, the Bible says. Are you in the faith? This is a question we should ask. He's asking it of the church in Corinth. We ought to ask ourselves that question right here. Are you in the faith? So let's note a few things here. Let's notice more than being in the faith is more than three things. It's more than mental assent. It's more than mental assent. So you could say, well, I mean, I guess I'm in the faith because I, you know, I believe there's a God and um, that Jesus lived and you know, went to a cross. And... Did you know the demons of hell believe the facts, the basic facts about the message of the gospel? Did you know that? The Bible says they believe God is one, and they tremble. They even take it another step. They tremble at that thought about the greatness of power of God. So it's something more than just mental assent. You can believe the right things and never trust Christ as Savior. You can know the facts and never know Christ personally. The message of the gospel is about more than just knowing some things. Repentance is more than just knowing some things. Faith is more than just knowing some things. And so perhaps you've said, well, man, I believe the right facts about God, and I'm glad you do, and we are all for that. We want you to use your mind. We want you to think, to engage your brain. God gave you a mind for a reason. Use it well. It's a reasonable faith. It's a, it's a, the Bible's filled with concepts that we can learn and understand and study and discover. But it's more than just knowing some facts and just knowing the truth. It's more than religious activity. It's more than religious activity. 
He's writing to a church. I mean, they're religious. And I'm pretty religious. I go to church all the time. And I'm super, like, I'm faithful. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I mean, I go to church all the time. I'm really good about that. But did you know religious activity, rightly understood, religious activity is our response to our relationship with God. But for many people, it becomes a replacement for what God wants. And so instead of trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation, they will still go through the religious activities as a replacement. When you trust Christ as Savior, certainly it leads to what we call religious activities. But man, don't miss, don't miss this. I'm reading a book right now on a guy named William Wilberforce. You'll hear more about him. It's a, 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 enjoying the book, and he's a, just a remarkable man. But it's in the 1700s in England. And Wilberforce, uh, just I'm reminded about the state of Christianity in 1700s England and some of the parallels to our own day and age. And it was, it was common to see to be involved in religion in that day in England. Wilberforce himself was active in what we would call religious activities, but he, didn't, he did not know Christ as Savior. He came to know Christ as Savior as a young adult, but before that time, he was very religious. And much of England, man, they would go to church. They went on Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, they went to church, but they did not know Christ as Savior. Much of England did not know Christ as Savior. Because what happened was they began to replace what God wanted, a relationship with him, with just religious activity. And listen, that's a danger for you as well. I'm glad you go to church. And I'm delighted that you're here on this Sunday morning. It's a great and wonderful thing. We ought to gather together. The Bible talks about this. Religious activity is a great thing, but it ought to come out of our faith. And so may I just remind you that being in the faith is more than religious activity. It's more than moral behavior. More than moral behavior. So many people would say, well, the way you're accepted by God, the way you go to heaven, the way you are truly a follower of Christ is to be good. And the question is, well, how good? How good? And you may compare yourself to someone and say, I'm pretty good because that guy, man, that guy's way worse than me. That kid at school, that guy at work, the person that lives in my neighborhood, that relative I have, they're way worse than me. And I suppose everyone in the whole world, save one, would have to be able to say, I'm not as bad as that guy. But what if the, that guy you're comparing yourself to is the holiness of God himself? How do you stack up now? I mean, compared to, to holiness and perfection, we all fall short. We've all sinned against God. And so we can't, we can't self-improve to perfection we can't change the fact that we've already sinned against God and that we're broken already. We're born with a bent toward sinning. We all choose to sin. And so the Bible is saying, ask yourself this question. Are you in the faith? Have you repented of your sins and trusted Christ and Christ alone who died for you and rose from the grave for you to save you? Have you received him as savior have you given your life to christ and received him as savior and if not i'm going to ask you today in a few minutes when we pray i want to ask you today to give your life to christ i want to ask you to make the most important decision of life to answer the most important question as you think about am i in the faith and to give your life to christ today and if the holy spirit is convicting you of your need for the lord he does that so that today you can give your life to him why not today trust him there's a second question we use to examine ourselves, a critical question. Are you doing what's right? Are you doing what's right? I just got done saying that you're not saved by good works. 
but you are saved for good works. You're not saved by doing what's right, but you are saved to do what's right. God wants us to do the right things. And so if you're a believer, I want you to ask yourself that question. Am I doing what's right? The Bible talks about this in in verse 7. We pray to God that you do nothing wrong, not that we may appear to pass the test, but that you may do what is right. Do what is right. Uh, Verse 8 says, we can't do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. And so the Bible makes this great claim that there is truth and that we ought to follow the truth, that we ought to do what is right and avoid what is wrong. We're not saved by our good works, but we are always saved for good works. And so God is saying, if you know Christ as Savior, then are you living that out? Are you doing the right things? Are you avoiding the things that bring dishonor to the name of the Lord? Let's, let's note two dangers to doing what's right. Danger number one is compromise. Compromise. The church at Corinth was constantly fighting with that danger of compromise. And the church of our generation and our day has to fight the battle of compromise. And the world is constantly calling us to compromise. I, I mean, constantly calling us to that. If you, went to, if you just went to the theater, just watched movies, just went movie after movie after movie after movie, You might find a couple of movies that would suggest to you that you ought to do the right thing, follow the Lord, do what God says. But I suspect, don't you, there'd be quite a few movies who would suggest to you that um, you don't need to follow God's way and that the world has a better way and that you ought to compromise your convictions about faith and you ought to do what the world says. Don't you think there'd be some movies like that? Don't you think there's some television shows that would call, call you to compromise? I mean, that's, it's so much easier to go downhill than uphill, to follow the crowd instead of go the, the sometimes narrow road and lonely road of faith. So compromise is easy. Much of our society is calling us to that. Think about an issue like gender. The Bible teaches clearly that God made male and female and made us a man or a woman and that that was at God's good pleasure. But our society says, man, we should compromise that and Maybe you can just decide what you want to be, and maybe to the amazement of those of us who are a little bit older, to the amazement we've watched as society says, little children ought to decide those sorts of issues. And the world is calling us to compromise all the time. But God tells us there's a truth and that it doesn't change, and it's not based on what the world says or what's popular or what feels right at the moment or a thousand other things that would call us to the wrong. And so God says, I want you to do what's right. Are you doing what's right? Not only is there the danger of compromise, but there's the danger of rationalization, of rationalizing. We say something like this. I know what the Bible says, but... Have you ever said that? I know what the Bible says, but... And then we rationalize and justify why we can do what the Bible says we shouldn't do or why it's okay or why it's not that big a deal or sin doesn't really matter that much as though, it didn't put, as though Christ didn't die on the cross for sin, as though it had no consequences. And we, we rationalize. Maybe you were like me with my, in, in my day, my, I, would, I would say, my mom maybe would say, you know, you can't do that. And I would say, mom, I'd say, everyone's doing it, she would, I would say to her. And she would say, I think every mom... In my generation learned this. Maybe they, she would say in response, she would say, if everyone jumped off a cliff, would you jump off a cliff? And, well, maybe. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of peer pressure. 
everyone's, you know, lemmings are a great example of this. They just jump. And the Bible is teaching us this greater principle. I want you to, I want you to do what's right. And I know, listen, I know lots of people go the wrong direction. That's why it's called a narrow road and a wide road. It's lots of people who do what's wrong. But if you know Christ as Savior, I want, to, I want you to ask this question. And when we pray in a few minutes, maybe God will deal with you about some subject. I haven't talked really about specifics much, but maybe there's something that the Holy Spirit will bring to mind. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit does is to convict us of sin and righteousness. And he'll say, I want you to add this to your life. Or I want you to remove this from your life. Or I want you to change. And so ask yourself that question. Be honest with yourself. Am I doing what's right? Am I compromising or rationalizing? Or am I following God's better way? Question number three. Are you becoming mature? Are you becoming mature? This is an important question to ask yourself. In verse 9, the Bible says, We rejoice when we are weak and you are strong. We also pray that you become fully mature. Did you see that? Fully mature. That's, I like the descriptor there. Not just mature, but fully. It's like there's a process of maturity. So I have, we have 13 grandchildren. Is that right? 13? Yeah, something like that. You get enough of them, you just, you know, I know exactly how many grandchildren I have. I don't know how many children I have, but I know I have 13 grandchildren. And one of the daughters sent us a video, and by the way, you, like, parents or parents-to-be, like, you will be so irrelevant the moment you have children because your parents will only care about the grandbabies. They won't even, like, they won't even talk to you anymore. They don't even care. So the, one of the parents sent a video of our little granddaughter, one of the 13. She's not yet two even. She's, so she started walking not that long ago. So she's somewhere between the, you know, that one-year-old and two-year-old stage, somewhere in there, I think. And I, don't, I, do, I do know how many I have, and I know their names, but I don't, I don't know all their birthdays. So she's some, somewhere less than two, older than one. It's the cutest age. And she's, uh, they sent a video of her like doing dancing and kind of dancing around. And oh my goodness, you know, we went crazy. It was this, we think our grandchildren are so much, so much cuter than all your grandchildren or your children. You know, it's just. So I, a part of me wants to say, I'd like him to just stay right there. It's such a cute stage. It's at the toddler stage, I guess you call it. It's such a cute stage. I'd like him to stay right there. And, but not really. Because God made them to grow. And can I tell you, God made you to grow. To grow. Not to stay where you are, but to put down some deep roots and to grow some spiritual vibrancy and vitality. And so let's talk about three keys to spiritual maturity, to becoming mature. Number one is faith. In verse 9, Paul says, we rejoice when, when we are weak and you are strong. Paul's saying, I want you to, he's really talking about faith, and he's talked about that subject, as you may have noted, several times in, the, in this book of the Bible. He talks about how we are when we are weak, that's when we're strong. When we think we're strong, that's when we're weak. When we depend upon ourselves and our own abilities, man, that's when we fail. But when we trust God, when we see our need for God, that's when we are strong. And faith is about trusting God. May I say, the difficult moments in life, and some of you undoubtedly are in a difficult moment, and some of you may be on the precipice of a difficult moment, can be a time when you trust God all the more, when your faith is tested, and you 
can grow so much in these difficult moments because we live in a fallen world and we're fallen, other people are fallen, and the world itself is fallen. There are always difficulties. Paul talked about many of them in this very book of the Bible. But that is a great moment to trust God when we see our weakness, that we cannot depend upon ourselves. And when we trust God, there's something powerful about that. So are you growing in Christ? One way is to find out, am I trusting God even when things aren't going as I like? When I have a thorn in the flesh, like Paul talked about, when I'm facing difficulties, when I have some sort of my own version of a shipwreck or some imprisonment or some problem, am I trusting God even then? Is my faith deepening even in difficult moments? God often uses them. If you're facing a difficult moment, don't waste it. Recognize that God can use it in your life to grow you and deepen you and mature you. A second key is wisdom. Wisdom is seeing God's perspective. Uh, in verse 9, Paul said, we also pray that you become fully mature. That is why I am writing these things while absent. He's saying, I want you to see God's perspective. I want you to begin to see the world as God sees it. Not just as the world sees it, but as God sees it. I want you to see the better perspective of God, to be able to see not just what the world says and thinks, but God's perspective. Vicky and I have become birders, uh, of course. I mean, who wouldn't become a birder? Bird watching, maybe the most exciting of all possible hobbies to become a bird watcher. Is that not the weirdest thing that some, I don't know. This is what we do. This, we Somehow we got sucked into that world. There are a few others. Once in a while, someone will come to us and admit, you know, they're bird watchers. They're all excited about it. Some of them have gone farther down that weird trail than we have, and they're even more excited than we are. So we, here's what we'll do. Yeah, riveting. This is riveting stuff. This is the kind of hobby that you're going to want to have for yourself. We will go places so we can try to find some particular warbler or something, some kind of bird. We get our binoculars out. And we look at a bird and try to examine it, try to identify what kind of bird it is, what kind of warbler it might be. There's all kinds of warblers. Believe me, we know these things. Oh, you could too if you would just go down this path of birding. You're exciting beyond imagination. And so sometimes you'll get your binoculars on and all of a sudden you'll see all the colors and the details of these little birds and the perspective is so different. God in heaven is asking you to see beyond the perspective of this world and to see God's perspective on life and to be able to kind of focus as God sees it and to see the reality of who you are and his perspective. Wouldn't it be great if you could just kind of say, oh, I see now, life is short. I mean, it seems like it's going to go, like I have forever, but I'm, if I waste this year, it never comes again. And if I waste these opportunities, they're gone. If I could just see the frailty of life, if I could see how, how short and brief the moments are, if I could see God's perspective on dealing with problems and difficulties and dealing with people who are hard to deal with and overcoming adversity and learning how to deal with my personality quirks and if, if I could just begin to see wisdom, and God tells us he'll give us wisdom. To, to those who ask, God will give wisdom. He wants you to see his perspective as a part of becoming mature. And then a third key is understanding. Understanding is knowing the truth. Paul says in verse 10, I'm writing these things. He gives us the word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, gives us the Bible so that we can know the truth for ourselves, so that we can understand. You know, we don't know what we don't know. And there are many people who don't know what they don't know about faith. And so they know a little bit about 
the Bible, and yet they don't realize there's so much more for them to understand. So I want to encourage you to get in a Bible study, get connect to a life group, or get involved in a discipleship class. Read the Bible for yourself. And can I just tell you, maturity doesn't happen in a moment, right? It doesn't just happen in a moment. It takes time to mature physically, and it's true spiritually. So it's not like, you know, today I'm going to just, I've decided today I'm going to become mature in Christ. There are a lot of things still to understand. Things you don't know yet what you don't know. And begin to put into some spiritual disciplines in your life. I want you to read the New Testament for yourself and read it over and over. You know, may I say, after nine or ten times, you begin to understand it in a way you can't after one or two. And, and then to begin to understand the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and begin to see how it fits together more. And over time, God grows you and matures you, and God wants that for you. So I ask you the question, are you becoming mature? Have you been satisfied to be a spiritual baby and sort of live on the spiritual milk instead of the spiritual meat? Let's, let's note these three questions we're going to ask ourselves in just a moment when we pray. Question one, are you in the faith? Question two, are you doing what's right? Is there something God wants to change? Question three, are you becoming mature? Are you following the steps that will help you to grow deeper in faith? Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And I want us to deal with each of these questions. If you'll just bow where you are, let's ask God to help us see this. Let's examine ourselves as Scripture tells us right now. Are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? Have you been born again? I didn't ask, not, not just are you giving mental assent or are you religiously involved or are you relatively, comparatively speaking, moral, but have you trusted Christ and Christ alone to save you? And if not, why not today? If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and righteousness, today would you give your life to Christ? The Bible tells us to repent of our sin we turn from our sin and turn to Christ. To place our faith, our trust in Jesus that he died for us and he rose from the grave for us. To place our trust in him and not in ourselves. And then to receive him. Ask him to save you. And he will. Right where you are this day, you can just acknowledge, God, I've sinned against you. And, and I, it's, it's, I'm not, I can't blame it on anyone else. I've sinned against you, but you sent your son Jesus to live the life I couldn't live and die the death I deserve and provide the miracle I need in the resurrection. And so here and now I want to turn from my sin and trust you as Savior. And if you mean it, Christ will save you. You can be saved today. Question number two, are you doing what's right? Christian, I want to say a word to you. Those of you who say, I know I, I, I'm in the faith. I know I've trusted Christ. Is there some area of compromise in your life or rationalization? I know what God says, but... Maybe there's something God wants to add to your life, take from your life, or change in your life. I ask you today, will you say yes to him? Say yes to him. Do what he wants you to do. Live like he wants you to live. Question three. Are you becoming mature in faith? Have you kind of got stuck in that toddler stage? Is your faith deepening so that even in difficult times you're trusting God? All the more in difficult times, but you're trusting God, not yourself. You're growing and 
wisdom and seeing the perspective God has and really learning God's word and understanding what he wants for you. Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word, for using scripture to help us search our own lives and see the truth about who we are and to deal with hard and difficult but important issues. And I'm praying for people today who will give their life to you, who will see they need you as Savior, and they will trust you, not just trust religious activity or, or their general goodness compared to others or whatever else they might trust, but instead to repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ and be saved. And Lord, I'm praying we will say yes to you in doing what's right, removing from our lives things that we know dishonor your name, or saying yes to things that we know you want us to do, to live like you want us to live. And then, Father, will you help us to deal with this question? Are we, am I maturing in my faith? Is my faith getting deeper? Am I growing closer to you? Am I understanding your word, your word more fully? Am I living by faith, seeking wisdom, and understanding more of who you are and my place in this world and what you want to do in and through me? Lord, would you help me to grow in maturity? And we pray these things to the God who is worthy of all of our praise, who loves us more than we could ever love ourselves, so that your name is glorified and honored in us. In Jesus' name, amen.